0: This is episode number 112 of Patrick Jones Baseball. And on this episode, we have Connor Graham. Connor is currently the Sports Performance Director at Redline Athletics in Cincinnati. Um, He's a former fifth-round pick, right-handed pitcher out of uh, Miami, Ohio University. And in this episode, we talk about the proper ways to train players. Um, Connor's background is pitching, so he gets into... um, kind of his core philosophies on how to train pitchers and how he does train pitchers of different ages. Um, pretty awesome stuff. Thank you guys. will enjoy it. And if I haven't already, um, please make sure to uh, head on over to iTunes and Please uh, rate and leave a, just a quick review. It really helps the overall rating of the show and helps helps me get more awesome guests like Connor on, and helps us reach a bigger and bigger audience. So, um, again, appreciate everyone listening. And ladies and gentlemen, here is Connor Graham. <laughs> All right, and we are now um, recording with Connor Graham who is the who are, what what's your exact title
1: so I, I'm the uh, director of sports performance at Red Line Athletics in uh, Westchester north north of Cincinnati
0: um, so I know you have a baseball background as well um, can you give everyone just a little bit of um, just a little bit of backstory of, of how you kind of came up in baseball and just how you got to where you're at now
1: yeah yeah definitely um, I grew up in Bowling Green, Ohio. Um, I actually I did play in the Cincinnati area for the Midland Redskins the year before college. Um, I so uh, pitcher at Miami of Ohio for three years. Um, I was drafted in the fifth round by the Rockies in '07, um, and that was kind of the start of my pro career. Got traded to Cleveland in '09. Um, spent a couple years there. Got hurt. Got released. Uh, signed with the Rockies again, got released again, and uh, played indie ball for my last year and a half, and then I ended up having surgery, and uh, unfortunately didn't really come back from that, so that's kind of where the uh, performance training kind of career started for me then.
0: So when you were at uh, Miami, Ohio, how hard were you throwing then?
1: Uh, I came in like kind of like a typical righty, um, probably topping out at 93 in fall ball, um, and I, th- at the time didn't really realize what happened about four weekends into the season. I think I hit a hundred for the first time. Whoa. Um, and that um, was,
0: I mean, that's not recent with all the higher velocity. That was a few years ago.
1: Yeah. That was, I'm old. That was Oh, Oh five. Yeah. 2005. So wow. it was, was a little while ago. Um, back then I did, I didn't realize like what, you know, what kind of changed th- to make this happen. It's a lot easier to look back now in high school. Uh, strength training wasn't really a part of what we did Um, we kind of you know I I thought we worked hard back then but you know the weight room was usually the football team dominated it and there was a lot of squat bench clean more bench and then some bicep curls Um, and I realized that I didn't I didn't excel in the weight room then and I didn't do it because back then pitchers ran poles and we didn't train right and you know fast forward to college and um, living in a weight room getting really strong and the velocity came pretty quickly after that. And then once you got into pro
0: ball, um, what was what was that adjustment like and how often, I know you said you got injured um, at the end of your career, but where were you dealing with injuries early on too?
1: No, honestly, I, you know, minus the occasional, you know, rougher weeks, you're a little bit more sore after an outing, but it wasn't, um, Wasn't anything really debilitating, honestly. The only time, the only thing that put me on the DL until I was actually hurt (laughs) were uh, blisters. So outside of that, I I remained fairly healthy. Um, The thing that, and I think this is kind of feeding into how I got into strength and conditioning as well. Um, Unlike a lot of strength coaches, you hear them say, you know, in high school I found the weight room and it helped me succeed. I got lucky and I was six, seven, about, and got up to 100 miles an hour without really training all that much yeah um, and I unfortunately coasted more than I should have and it was wasn't really till the end of my career that I realized oh my god like I can't I can't just coast I'm in double-a and everybody is as good or better than me um, I didn't really figure out that the training side of things was important until it was def- it was definitely too late for me personally mm-hmm. um, but that that kind of guided what I wanted to do after my pro career, because um, near the near the end I realized something's got to change. I need to take care of my body. I need to prepare better. I can't just expect to walk out on the field and perform the same way I always have.
0: I'm curious because I've heard this before about blisters. Like, how is that? I'm not a pitcher, but how can that be a thing where you can go on the DL for blisters?
1: It so. <laughs> the i didn't realize how i I thought it was a fluke with me but i know um when i was with cleveland carry uh, wood rehabbed with us a couple times and he actually gave me some of the tips that he he'd used cuz he had like chronic blister issues as well Jeez. um i think the probably the issue with me is we ended up you know, I'm pretty sure that i'm not, not pretty sure i know for a fact this is not legal in baseball but putting super glue all over my finger i'm like doctoring it up as much as i can and i think we were in uh buoy and i threw a pitch and it tore off some super glue some dermabond and a bunch of skin Jeez. and i was just it was an open the whole pad of my middle finger was raw and bleeding on the baseball and um, it took, I, mean, I, was, I was out for about a month, um, not really being able to throw it all without stuff on it.
0: That was, what was that, uh, Rich Hill, um, who was having those, it was a ton of blister issues. Was he? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, it.
1: The, it's, you know, I don't know if it was something specifically that I did or it was just me. I'm, I'm not sure, um, but I've heard of some guys dealing with it and certain climates made it worse, but it was interesting.
0: Um, after you played affiliate, I know you played in the independent league, uh, the Atlantic league. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? And I, we'll get into what some of the changes that they've made recently, <laughs> but
1: what was the Atlantic league like? The, the thing that surprised me initially, cause you know, coming, you know, early, early in my career until basically up until when I really got hurt, like I was a, usually a top prospect and I, maybe I was a little cocky and thought I was somebody, but you know, look down on independent baseball. And I think at times the Atlantic League was the best baseball I played. Um, the the talent, maybe the, you know, the end of the bullpen or the end of the lineup wouldn't necessarily match a double-A AA or triple-A team, but, I mean, the talent was unbelievable. I mean, we had – there's ex-big leaguers on every team. Um, every year, guys that got signed and made it to the big leagues that year. Um, so it was – it was pretty cool being able to play with guys that I played against earlier in my career, um, but then also, you know, you learn a lot of lessons when Dontrell Willis is one of your teammates, um, Armando Benitez. Like, we had, it was an interesting experience for sure. What do you What do you think about the changes that the Atlantic League made
0: uh, this past offseason? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the mound's back farther. I think yep. the bases are bigger. Um, there's a bunch of other changes too. There's some
1: time, like, I know there's some time, time changes, changes as well. Yeah. And, um, I, I think I understand why major league baseball wants to test some of those things. Um, I don't, I think it's a little too early to, to speak to how it's going to play out, but I don't think it's going to be as clear cut as people think. I think moving the bound mound back, people automatically assume hitters are going to have an advantage. I don't. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, tell me that Chris Sale's stuff gets worse if his pitches have more room to move. Like, I don't – I think depending on the guy, it could, um, could actually make stuff better. But it's, uh, it's too early to see, but it's an interesting change that I, I can't say that I'm upset that I'm not there having to do it. Well,
0: I was wondering about arm injuries too from a pitching standpoint if the mound back further.
1: I, on, I honestly don't think it's going to make as big a difference as what people think it could. Um, most pitchers that do a decent job of taking care of their arm train at or above the level that, of demand that they're going to have in a game. Um, I, I don't think it's going to have an effect on injuries, but uh, that being said, there's, it's, I don't know, it's multifactorial. There's so many different things that you could – that could factor into how that affects a pitcher throughout the year, um, so I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But I don't I don't know if anyone's going to have an accurate guess at what's really going to happen.
0: I just don't know why they decided to make um, make the change in the Atlantic League. Like that's the cream of the crop for independent leagues. Why not go to? I mean, the Pecos League is pretty pretty. That's pretty bad maybe like the frontier or american association i don't know why the atlantic league
1: Uh, i think the atlantic league is a well-run business and an official partnership like that with major league baseball is probably something that not not probably is something that i know they've they've been wanting to achieve for a while um and this probably just made the most sense right now and it's it's not like other things haven't been tried there as well so it's Using it as a testing ground isn't, I think, the worst idea. Um, I'm just glad I'm washed up and don't have to do it. (laughs) How hard do you think you could throw now if you could get your arm back in shape? Um, We've tested that a couple times, and it doesn't go well, and I can't lift my arm up for a while. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, my – you know, it's probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life was trying to rehab, and it just didn't work out for me. My range of motion is – god-awful right now uh I, I think if i really worked on that i can maybe touch 90 mm-hmm. and what then, was your sur-
0: or what ended your career what injury
1: uh, i had rotator cuff and labrum surgery so um multiple anchors um supraspinatus and infraspinatus repairs uh it it was it was kind of ugly it wasn't wasn't great but at least for right now i can throw bp i can lift weights i can play catch i just can't do the things i used to be able to do
0: did you do any type of uh, strength work back then when you were playing like in season
1: yeah i did it was it was always inconsistent for me in season um it's one of the things that i i struggled with um with my own plan was finding something that consistently worked and sticking to it um and, you know, depending on the coach and the, where I was, there were some different philosophies here and there. And I, I changed, you know, my preparation with that as well. Um, but I was never, I'm, I'm pretty confident that if I would have been as consistent as I asked my athletes to be doing the right things, that I probably could have had a longer career and who knows what could have happened then.
0: When, it, when your career was over, at what point did uh, you get really interested in the strength conditioning, um, just aspect.
1: So when I knew, um, when I knew that I needed surgery, I enrolled back in school. Um, I, I signed before I graduated. So, um, started school again, scheduled surgery and, you know, I got about a semester in, had surgery and then finished up. And that's, um, that's when I knew, like in the back of my mind, it was something I was always interested, even at Miami initially, um, that was always an interest of mine. I wanted initially to do uh, athletic training and they told me, you can't, you can't do that and play. So um, I wasn't sure what to do after that, um, but I had some, you know, some strength coaches I liked in pro ball and in college and you know, over the years saw that, you know, this is, this is something that I can combine with, you know, the knowledge I've gained about baseball and combine the two cuz I don't think you know, like when I train a pitcher now it's impossible for me to not look through the lens of a performance coach and and a pitching coach cuz there's um there's too many things now that I can do to help an athlete that you know we've talked about it before with um with you doing on base you if you're expecting an athlete to perform a certain thing in their swing and their pit in a pitch whatever and they don't have the physical capabilities to do that you can throw the every drill in the book at him it's not going to matter so combining the two that's what really really got me motivated to like okay like I really want to dive into exercise science um and kind of pair that with a pitching training as well how long did it take you um to get to a point where you were doing that full-time um I don't even remember now I had like two years of school I changed my major some stuff didn't transfer um so it was about two years. Um, I was volunteering a little bit during it. Um, had an absolutely amazing internship um, at a facility called Donskoff Strength and Conditioning in Columbus. Um, worked. They train almost primarily hockey players, but um, some wrestlers, um, some general population as well. Um, but that that was my, that probably fast tracked me to where I am right now compared to some of my other peers who didn't have the experience I did as an intern. Um, I was challenged constantly, um, and I think that that really, like I said, kind of fast tracked my growth as a coach.
0: I think I've read a few times where Eric Crescius has said the same thing, where you need to go out and and get real world experience. Um, because just reading a book and just you know going to classes it's just it's not enough and yes. you you don't know like what it's like to uh, be able to coach someone who um, is you know really positive about it all the time and then someone else who's like you know attitudes maybe not the greatest and it's like it it is it takes a skill to be able to handle different types of personalities and ages and just there's so many other factors too that aren't taught in a book
1: yeah no i mean it's definitely true and and just getting reps um if my ultimate goal is to train pitchers and baseball players um you know talking to eric and then pete dupuy his his business guy as well like they'll tell you like don't don't niche down like coach everybody get as many coaching reps as you can because um, i've learned things from training synchronized swimmers that has helped me train a pitcher better um there's, you know, there's no, there's no replacement for just kind of putting in the time and getting the coaching reps, um, and then yeah, and personalities too. Like uh, in the strength and conditioning world, Brett Bartholomew is um, a pretty well-known name. He wrote a book called Conscious Coaching. Um, talks about that, like different archetypes, different different types of athletes and how you can motivate those athletes and, and coach them better. Because um, not everyone's going to respond to the same thing. And um, yeah, I agree with that. So take me through kind of what you would do um, when an athlete, when
0: a baseball player comes in to, uh, to train, let's just start out um, as a pitcher.
1: Yeah, um, I think step one is just a, a little interview, first of all, um, find out why they're there. Um, Find out what they've done in the past, what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, injury history. I mean, you can gather a lot of information and you can really get down to what their motivation is for being there. Um, After the initial interview, um, a movement assessment, find out what they're capable of doing. Um, And that that can kind of lead me down different paths. So um, with a lot of our pitchers, we'll start with um, some tabletop assessment looking at hip range of motion, looking at um, T-spine range of motion. We'll look at uh, scapular positioning, both um, just static position and then dynamic control as well. And then from there, moving, you know, the the assessment can kind of tell me where I need to go and look at more things. Um, Doing a movement assessment at Redline, we use fusionetics, Um, looking at general movement patterns. Um, It's a a really good way to watch and see how that athlete's brain kind of problem-solves movement. Um, and from there, you can find out, OK, these compensation patterns, let's try to find out what the, the root cause is and attack that. And it's, kinda, it's an easy way to identify some low-hanging fruit for that athlete um, that, more often than not, can make much bigger changes.
0: How many days a week
1: would you put a program together for like a pitcher, for example? Depending, I mean, a lot of things factor in um, age of the athlete, training age of the athlete, time of year. So it can range from two days a week up to – In uh, season that would be two yeah, days a week. yeah. Two. Yeah, I mean, and even off season too, depending on the age and the training age of the athlete. If, if an athlete's never walked into a facility like this, they can step into this weight room and get stronger. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So for them, two days a week, um, teaching them how to move really well can have a huge impact, but then I'll have college and professionals who, in the off season, will be in here six days a week. Um, so it'll vary depending on you know several factors. The sweet spot usually seems to be about three days a week in the off season, um, one to three days a week in season, depending on you know a pitching rotation or someone's schedule. I don't know if you've
0: seen this with pitching too, but with hitting, I've seen this as kids get older. Um, it is so hard to alter uh, their movement patterns um, in their swing, and um, I, I, what I like to tell parents is because sometimes I'll, I'll get questions asked like, "It you know do do I really need to start my kid you know doing movement?" work or strength work at a young age and i always say yes not because i want like i think that they need to like get really strong it's they need the proper movement and again it's just the older you get it's it becomes extremely hard to alter uh the central nervous system and i just i see it all the time with older kids and it's like man like wish we could go back in time. I wish we could go back in time. But um, yeah, that's, that's what I tell all the, uh, all the parents out there with younger kids. Like it is extremely important because you only get one chance to do it right. And after, you know, those, those movements are programmed, like it's just, you can create new movement patterns, but it's just, it's really tough.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really is. um, And there's people that have different strategies to do it. That, like you said, the best way is let's, take these windows of trainability and and do, do it well at a young age that's why we like I start working with athletes at like eight and nine years old now what we do with an eight and nine year old does that look like what someone would think performance training looks like possibly not it may look a little bit more like phys ed but I want to teach them fundamental movement patterns I want to teach them how to hinge I want to teach them how to squat I want to teach them how to do those things and maybe it's not with a barbell or a kettlebell or but I'm teaching those movement patterns at a young age, so then later on we can it can scale. We can layer that. We can build off that. Um, and then with older athletes, like you have to get a little bit more creative. Um, I know external cueing has you know has been huge both in you know strength and conditioning and in baseball as well. I think there's a time when you know if you're trying to change a motor program like walking external cues aren't going to be enough to change how s- change someone's gait. Like right that, that's not going to work that well um, and I think throwing and swinging can be similar yeah. I mean we I had an athlete in today who's you know 15 years old um, he's probably been throwing since he was two years old now pitching no but th- he's been throwing stuffs for a <laughs> yeah, long time right. um, changing those patterns sometimes you have to make them aware and then, yeah, other times maybe you want to use more external cues. Maybe you want to get the glove off, get the baseball out of their hand. Um, we were throwing PVC pipes today um, using plyo care balls, using different implements that um, can kind of free the brain up a little bit and and stop having it go straight to that program that's written as pitching and, and try to kind of rewrite a, a more efficient pattern.
0: So for high school kids, um, is it imperative that they lift do you have to lift heavy and low reps to get stronger? Because, I mean, I know it used to be where it's like it's lightweight, high reps. And I know it's everything. It's everything's like people are starting to get more information smarter, the average person out there.
1: I, th- I think the if you were looking at just traditionally for a trained athlete, and especially for a baseball player too, there's there's not a ton of the year where we need to be Sitting in in rep ranges that are higher volume and more focused on hypertrophy. A lot of our athletes are under six reps for multiple sets. Um, depending on what the athletes' needs are, that that can change. Um, if I have a kid who is undersized and needs to put some weight on, and we have some time. That's going to change the program a little bit. Um, but other athletes it we we may be yeah we may be sitting in. Depending on the time of year, depending on the programming scheme I'm using for that athlete, it's going to be your more traditional multiple sets set under five or six reps. Um, And then it's, you know, the. It's the best answer, and it's the most frustrating answer. Is it depends? Yeah, it depends. <laughs> yeah, it's different for each that's, person. You know, it's, it can be viewed as a cop out, but it it really it really is. Like we, there's so much information out there right now that there's no excuse for a coach to hand 30 people this workout. And you know, in in some schools, that's that's a hard thing to ask for. In my setting, there's nights where I have nine coaches working. It's it's negligent for me to take a high school kid and not individualize the training for that person.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you can kind of relate and just like take that and apply it to hitting apply yep. it to pitching. Um, what do you think about pitchers long tossing?
1: Same thing. I think same it's, thing, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, but, but at the same time, there's, I think everything has value. It just, it, it all depends on how you're gonna use it. It's um, people, people like to say weighted baseballs are bad. Is the squat rack behind us bad? Is the barbell bad? No, like none of those things are bad. It's how you use an implement that's gonna make it positively impact an athlete. So if you wanna long toss seven days a week and try to max out every day, yeah, that's probably not good. <laughs> but if you can, if you can manage stress and use that tool how it was probably designed in the first place to be used. I think it's phenomenal. Did you use to long toss when you played? <laughs> yeah, I sucked at it though. I'm not really good at backspinning baseballs. <laughs> um so my my long toss is my throwing partner is here and I'm trying to throw it about 20 yards that way and just let it just kind of like run Excellent. back. back. <laughs> yeah. So we when I was in Double A with Cleveland, we had a pretty big hitter's eye and we actually we got chewed out for this, but forgot i think it was nick Hagadone, who big massive strong lefty who just absolutely threw fuzz decides that he's just gonna long toss a ball over the hitter's eye and of course he does it like crap all right and then carlos santana does the same thing i'm like okay if he's doing it i'm doing this and i'm like in front of the warning track i'm like man so that yeah my version of long toss. Your version of long, well, I mean, you could also throw a hundred miles an hour. So not I mean. often. It, it, I, in pro ball, it probably only happened. I don't. I don't know. Two times, three times. Um, well, tre- doesn't Trevor Bauer long toss every day?
0: That's I don't know if he does either. or not. I mean, I know. I know he's really big. He's.
1: I mean, there's there's certain guys that can handle a lot more volume of that throwing, and and your definition of long toss can be can be different if. You know, if someone has the ability to throw the ball 350 feet, if they're throwing at 280, like that's not a really high RPE for them. Like that's not a high intense throw, but 280 for me might be <laughs> might be uh, pretty intense. So, I mean, just like just like anything else, just like in the weight room, just like any type of training, like managing workloads and managing stress and recovery, that's gonna kind of dictate, you know, when it's a good tool to use.
0: What what could the average you know, we have people listening to this all over the country. Um, what could the average person who has a, as a kid who's six, seven, eight years old be doing to help them? Um, now so later on it's, it's a little bit easier, um, in their
1: career it, it, from a strength side? I mean, for, for like the young, young, young athletes, they play outside, climb trees, jump fences. I know that sounds kind of funny um but I, it doesn't happen as often like in me as, as a parent like I've, i find myself being you know a little nervous like not wanting my daughters running around the neighborhood like i have to stop and be like they're fine let them go because there's so many kids that are stuck inside playing xbox all day yeah um and then for the kids that get older you know find there's there's facilities like ours that do a good job of teaching kids fundamentals of movement because it's not always taught in schools the same way it was when we were younger um there's not year-round sport participation like when i was a kid you for me baseball was the summer and then fall was a different sport and winter was a different sport and spring was a different sport so my i had a wide diet like a wide variety of of movement that i i would go through yearly um and we don't see that as often now so that would be my recommendation: is, is get get active, and when you're to the point where the the kids mature enough to say, no, I wanna I wanna work harder to get better at something, find a qualified performance coach who can can kind of guide them along that journey. Because I,
0: I, I and the only reason I ask you that is I get questions all the time from from people from mainly hitting, um, but a few pitching recently too, where they don't know like how many days a week should their kid be throwing how far how i mean what drills should they be doing yeah. how should they find their proper arm slot
1: and like honestly and this is the, i don't know if people like this or hate this but like for the young kids throw hard like you, how many guys have you ever heard of that picked up baseball when they were 17 and got to the big leagues pitching it doesn't happen Not very often i mean there's there's actual physical changes that happen when you throw hard at a young age and if you don't have humoral retroversion you're not going to get layback, which means you're not going to throw hard I love when I have a young kid come in and the dad's like oh he just throws as hard as he can and he doesn't know where it's going I'm like sweet (laughs) like let's teach this kid how to throw fuzz yeah and then when he's 14 15 we can yes like I don't want someone that throws 100 miles an hour literally has no idea where it's going but it's a lot easier to take someone that has clean movement patterns and can throw with intent and teach them how to attack a strike zone than it is to take someone who is 18 years old throws 70 poo but can really dot up like that's that that's great but you're going to hang up your cleats the last day of senior year like you're never like you're never going to play again
0: uh, dr rose is on next week's episode and um he said the he said the same thing with hitting too he's like try and hit, try and swing, you know, try and hit it as far as you can. It's like we can always work on the mechanical stuff later on. Yeah, Kind of like you're talking about right there, right? You only get one chance to really kind of let it go. And I don't know, it's just – it's tough to ingrain that in kids later on, the later on you get.
1: Yeah, it, re- it really is. And and at a, at a younger age, it's a unique time where training speed and power can be – very successful like we do a very good job at taking 9 10 11 12 year old kids and whether you like it or not we we performance test when they come in we set a baseline and we do a really good job of making those kids faster we don't do anything fancy yeah. but at, at that age you're like you're in a time where your brain really likes some of the stimuli that we give it and it's going to make an athlete faster and more explosive and throwing and swinging are going to be no different um so taking advantage of this time frame and using it well means when puberty hits, now we get to throw some more strength and size and mass behind those clean movement patterns and explosiveness. Like that, you that's a pretty good equation for throwing hard and yeah. hitting bombs. Hit bombing, <laughs> which is what I like to
0: do. Um, I know recently you just got a rap soto as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that?
1: I love it because, um, no matter what there's, I can't see everything. Um, and it gives me the ability to give feedback, um, to an athlete. That's not opinion. Um, and I, and I, you know, there's, there's certain people that I've used it with that Like they want to dive in and they want to understand there's other people. They're like, I don't, don't tell me my spin rate. Tell me what to do. Tell yep. me how to make myself better. Um, but it's an unbelievable tool in terms of pitch design. Um, I can't tell you how many athletes I've seen already where you look at the movement profiles of their pitch, and there's and it's just one big clump, and that big clump isn't one pitch. It's three pitches with the exact same movement profile. And for me, that's like this is this is this makes my job. I mean, I guess easier or not easier. I mean, it's hard work to you know design pitches that play well off each other but are differentiated, but it makes it really easy then when we're going through the process of, okay, your four-seam and your two-seam right now are the same pitch. We can either make them different or pick one. And if we're deciding to make them different, now I have a tool that from pitch to pitch, combining that with high-speed video, we can differentiate those pitches and – and make them work much better together than just having the exact same movement profile.
0: Yeah, it it is really cool. I know they have one for hitting too, but I know the pitching one is really taken off. I know organizations. um, I I think every single organization has one now. Um, I forget who it was with the Marlins. Uh, Was it Dan Straley? It was, I think he was at driveline. Anyway, the Marlins, as you all know, are really behind everything else when it comes to analytics and technology. And they didn't even—they weren't gonna even buy a Rapsodo. I know for um, some other tech companies that they weren't interested in that anyway. But I know Dan had to uh, personally purchase his own Rapsodo, and would use it in bullpens uh, before games. And so when the Marlins were like, "Well, can we look at that data?" We're just kind of curious. He's like, "No, you can't. (laughs) Like, no. It's just—it's just mine." But it's funny because it's where the game is going and why wouldn't it I mean yeah. it's made every other facet of, of human life better and easier I mean why wouldn't it help in baseball
1: yeah no, and, and it's true and I mean you talked about Dr. Greg Rose like he's said and it's not just him there's people in the baseball industry now recognizing it as well like baseball is so far behind golf golf has been ahead for I mean decades if you think about it but like just recently they've embraced technology and shocker it's working yeah like it 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 makes sense now how you utilize it's one thing like I can't stand there with a tablet or a screen and just look at that while I'm working with the pitcher yeah and say move your you know right arm to a little bit two inches higher those those things like you're not going to create any context for an athlete who maybe they have zero interest in that and all they want is I want to punch tickets like I want to have filthy stuff teach me how to have filthy stuff. Like you still need to have some of that. Like you need the old school coach's eye and probably vocabulary, but be aware that let's use the technology that's out there now to help us as coaches, but then help our athletes. It's, there's no excuse not to, um, not to attempt that. I know, you know, it's cost prohibitive for some people, but there's, there's ways that you can use, um, the new technology to help you develop athletes, and it's it it's had a huge impact for us. So,
0: I think uh, I think one of the the main reasons why you know I like coming up here and, and working with you guys, and um, pretty excited for just kind of the future of working with you guys too, is it's so important um, from a hitting perspective, um, and I'm sure from a pitching one too, that the weight room is um, not too far away, right? Because for so many kids, yes, doing drills, hitting drills is important. Yes, hitting batting practice, seeing velocity, um, getting comfortable with velocity is important too. Um, but with a lot of kids, it's like just as important probably if not more as if I'm, you know, working with a strength coach or um, and just, you know, saying, hey, I did a you know, physical screen on him. He's having some hip mobility issues. Like, let's see if you can, like, kind of take care of that. Mm -hmm. We can work on that together. Um, And we'll work on that and try to work around that um, at the same time um, while we're hitting. But I just, like I said, and that's why I'm kind of excited for uh, this upcoming summer where we're doing a a summer um, training program where um, you can come hit four to six days a week, lift, pitchers, same thing. Mm And it's it's going to be really really cool because 20 feet away we have this weight room and cages over there, and I can screen all the hitters, go through the on base use screen, and it's it's just it's going to make more sense um, because long term um, no athlete wants to guess, and so using utilizing some of the, the types of technology like KVEST, like Rapsodo, like Blast Motion. Um, it's just it's where the game's going, and I'm just I'm glad we're we're going in the same direction.
1: Yeah, I I mean I'm excited. I know I've been, um, we've I think the first time we talked was you know probably almost a year ago now, and I just had to keep bugging you a little bit, and <laughs> um, and I, and I and I'm pumped to to be working together because I think we're providing something to athletes that most of them, and honestly, even to the professional level, uh, you hear it all the time that professional pitchers aren't getting their rap Soda data. They don't get their TrackMan data. They don't have access to those things. The, the teams hoard that data and they don't share it. Um, we're giving athletes the technology and the information that the biggest organizations in the world use on a daily basis – Um, but we're going to teach them how to use it. We're going to find how each athlete wants to use that. And not only that, we're going to combine it with, um, working with a physical therapist to go even deeper into, you know, if, if there are issues that are outside of my scope of practice as a certified strength and conditioning specialist, that's fine. I've I've got a guy with a baseball background that's going to help you. Um, the individualized strength training. And not only that, like, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to do a movement assessment and design programs based off the movement assessment, injury history, training history, goals of the athlete. But then the athletes working with me and you. So we, like, yeah. we, we we're gathering so much information on a daily basis to provide the best possible training experience for them. Um, I'm, I'm beyond excited. Yeah. And it, when I
0: was out on base, U, one of the, the things that they would use is, is the pit crew phrase phrase and where, you know, in the, in the pit crew, like, you have the driver, you have the team, you have the mechanic, right, and they're all working together, you know, for that one common goal. And it's kind of going to be this the similar situation here where, uh, I, you know, my background is not strength, yours is, so I can communicate with you, and then vice versa. And what I, the way I look at it from a hitting um, perspective and a hitting coach is if someone told me growing up, hey, to be the best hitter, like you possibly can, like, what, like, what would you, what would you do? I'd be like, well, I'd probably hit a lot. And so that's why I think having it set up the way we are, where you can come in and hit six days a week if you want to, yeah. you know what I mean? I, it's just, and that, it's like that with, with kind of anything, like getting strong, like, you know, pitching. So I'm glad we have it set up the way we do. Um, I'm excited because we do have K Vest, which is, um in my opinion the most important piece of technology from the hitting side anyway that's out there and it allows me uh, not to have to guess what's going on it just it, it tells me yep and so um that's what I like I like the objective feedback I know you do as well with Rap Soto.
1: yeah no it um I, I'm excited because we're putting a lot of the pieces together and where we're taking the problem of communication between multiple different people, that that's not an issue anymore because we're going to be able to communicate not just daily or weekly. It's, I literally can talk, Hey, you know, I I worked with so-and-so today. This is what he said you guys were working on. Let's talk about it. How we can, how I can help from the strength side. So you can start seeing those changes happen quicker in the cage. So it's uh I, I'm excited because it's, it's an integrative approach that it's not common to see that. And, you know, we, we're, we're putting together the, probably the, the best program we can right now, and I'm excited about it.
0: So uh, for position players or pitchers, what's the best way to, to get in contact?
1: Uh, best way to get in contact to get started for the summer would be to email me. It's uh, cgram, G-R-A-H-A-M, at redlineathletics.com. Um, that would be the best way. Um, in, to,
0: Cincinnati, in Cincinnati, Ohio as well. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, going to be great. Um, pretty pumped about it. And, um, also another thing that we added, and I know people, some, a lot of people charge for doing recruiting videos and all that stuff. Uh, that's also included. It's part of the, part of the package. Um, how, what, what are the prices right now?
1: Uh, right now we're doing a, um, kind of like a a pre-sale so if you sign up before the end of April um, it's 955 for the summer Um, after that it is uh, 115 a month for or 115 a week um, for technically 11 weeks uh, with some flexibility on you know college kids that get out of school earlier or have to start later Um, they'll just work with me and we'll, we'll we'll make sure we put together the schedule that works best for them
0: sounds good man well again appreciate you coming on and i'm pretty pumped for the summer
1: yeah man thank you i mean it's a real honor i'm a you know long-time listener first-time caller kind of deal so (laughs) uh, i i'm uh i'm really excited and honored that uh you asked me to do it absolutely